How are you doing there? Just a quickie before we start. On the Apple podcast, why don't you double click on David McWilliams Plus? It's right there when you open the podcast. You get ad free, you unlock early access. Just double click and away you go. David McWilliams Plus, you get this pure and simple. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? I hope all is well. As you can see, we're in a very giggly mood today, which is uh, actually quite typical for us. But we are trying to make economics a little bit more giggly, a little bit more comprehensible. How are the you? Gigglier, the, the gigglier the better. The gigglier the better. You have to have, you have to have a bit of a giggle. What's rocking your world? Oh, the whole lot. The World Cup actually is rocking my world. I'm it's actually, good, isn't it? I am enjoying it, and I I kind of hate to say that. Because we're all supposed to be uh, up in arms against Qatar and FIFA, the corrupt the corruption that, that yeah, is the off whole the world. scale corruption. <laughs> but I tell you, one thing that did strike me. What struck you, John? I, I was watching. I don't know. I've been watching quite a few matches, and one thing that did strike me during the week, which I, I just went off on a bit down a bit of a rabbit hole, it was the whole thing about surprise, surprise. But it's the whole thing about national anthems, and I suddenly realised. I don't really understand national anthems, where they came from, what they're all about. And fellas, you know, before the match, you know, singing their their lungs out, tears rolling down their face and, you know, hand on chest. Uh, Yeah, hand on heart stuff. What's going on there? Patriotism. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of thinking, you know, all the national anthems pretty much sound the same. They're all the same style of music, that kind of mid-19th century militaristic type of stuff. And it doesn't matter if you're Irish, English, French, Japanese, Brazilian, Qatari, Ghananese. It doesn't matter. You're or Ghanaian, sorry. Ghanaians. (laughs) I like that. I'm going to tell you a story about Ghanaians now in a minute. But, But, you know, it's all the same. And I don't understand it because it's not a reflection of your identity, or yeah. of your culture or anything. If it was, the Irish national anthem would be a bit more diddly idly. The Japanese national anthem would be full of koto instruments and and all the. Oh, Japanese no, no, this was slightly off beam sounds the Japanese make. Yeah, with no bass at all. With no bass. <laughs> you can't you can't run a world yeah. with no bass, John. And, and the African traditional African music, and then I the Qataris would be kind of lutes and stuff like that. 
I don't get, I mean, obviously you can't bring out these bands onto a field. I, I like the way that the, the, the thought process, the, the spaghetti junction that is your mind, John, amazes me. But I do, I, I get your point that national anthems are of a type. Yes. And they're bombastic. Yeah. And they tend to be typically militaristic. Yes. Right? And they do come from that late Victorian world where I think countries at the end of empires were beginning to try and understand. If you look at human history, the vast majority of human history, we have lived in empires. Mm. We haven't lived in nations. Yes. Yeah, we yeah. in empires. So it was like a part of that whole patchwork of nationalism was creating these sort of songs and these sort of, I mean, I must admit, I do like the French national anthem. I think yes. the Marseillaise is a good one. Yeah, yeah. I can't say That's this. That's one of the oldest ones. It's a really good one. I also can't say this. I quite like the Russian national anthem. Oh, that's a fantastic yeah. tune. So it's a great, it's a great tune. tune. I know you're yeah. not allowed to say that, but yeah. it's a great tune. I've always thought that, actually. But, but it's interesting because I, I did have a quick look going, what, what's this all about? The oldest national anthem is the Dutch. Okay. From, from the Heppian 70s, 50s or whatever it is. Yeah. Second one would be the English national anthem, God Save the King, God Save the Queen. And then the French. Uh, but the American national anthem is an interesting one only became officially the American National Anthem in the 1930s. What is the American National Anthem? Uh, Star Spangled Banner, which is the tune of an old drinking tune, actually. <laughs> is it? Yeah. That's the melody. Well, and that's where it the, came the from. Star Spangled Banner. Do you remember our friends, the Know Nothings? Yes. Yeah. They were actually called the Society of the Star Spangled Banner. Ah, that right. Was okay. Thing. So it has been, the, it's funny, I just don't, you know, it, because you don't hear the American National Anthem that often, I don't hear it anyway. Well, if you're in America, you'd hear it every morning. But we're, not, they, that's, that's, but we're not in America. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, I realise, actually, I don't know. I really don't understand America at all. Yeah. So the older I get, the less grasp I have on, the, on that, on that uh, country. I think that could be said for a lot of Americans, too, to be honest. <laughs> now, well, we stay in Qatar, but we will leave Fair the enough. bizarre thing of the national anthem. Yeah. John, I do like it. I do like it. <laughs> and uh, if you are phased by your own national anthem... <laughs> You know, the good competition. What, what sort of, what were your top 10 uh, rock and roll tunes to replace the well, national there, anthem? Well, there you go. Now, that's yeah, it. yeah, yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a competition for you. There's the World Cup, right? But it, could, it could end up like one of those audio logos, like Intel. Bing, ding, 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 ding. You know, maybe I, you have that instead of a national anthem. Can, can you do that again? Bing, ding, 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 ding. Let us talk economics, John. Let us talk economics. Please, please. Qatar, it's been interesting me, Qatar, right? Mm. Because Not from a World Cup perspective. No, of course, because I'm sitting there watching the football, but thinking of other stuff, right? On his big telly. On my big telly. <laughs> on my big new telly. But fascinatingly, when you think of the Qatari World Cup, and when you think, what is history going to look like? What is this going to look like when we look back in history, right? Mm. Is it going to be regarded as the height of folly, where you have air-conditioned outdoor stadiums, You've air-conditioned outdoor training pitches. Yeah. You have the grass yeah. is imported. The grass all. is all imported. Yeah. It's not grown, right? Well, people say this was the high point of excessive wealth with people who don't know what to do with their money. Like it's the most bizarre spectacle. And against that background, that's what we're going to talk about mm. today. What makes countries wealthy sustainably? But I was thinking of, did you ever see the movie Fitzgeraldo, John? <laughs> No, I, I haven't. I, you've, you've talked about this before, actually. Fitzgerald. I, I must dig it out, actually. Fitzgerald, financed by Mick Jagger, the movie. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. And Keith Richards, right? right? Starring Klaus Kinski. It's about a true story of a fellow called Brian Fitzgerald, one of ours, okay, yeah. in Latin America in the 1890s. 
And he was obsessed. He was an opera buff. And he was obsessed by bringing a huge European opera to the Amazon jungle, to a city called Manaus, which mm. is on the Amazon, right? Is this a 70s movie? Is this it... is a, of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, look, I, I, if I could live in a decade, it would be the 70s. <laughs> I, I love everything about the 70s. I think the yeah. 70s just uber cool. Fashion was cool. Yeah, the, you just... ta- the moustaches were cool. Yeah, the moustaches, yeah. Facial hair great. was a good thing. The cars, everything. I love the 70s. I have yeah. The music, the music of the 70s is yeah. by far the most interesting decade. Anyway, right, the football, Johan Cruyff. You know, I mean, they, they even looked good. The Dutch football. If I could look like someone, I would look like a Dutch footballer from the seventies. Yeah. You know, that's that's my look. Yeah. Johan Niskens sort of look. You know, Robbie Rensenbrink. Rush. These are great. These ninety-seven World Cup. Anyway, so Fitzgeraldo is the story of this crazy man yeah. who had this crazy idea. Mm. But the background noise is exactly the same as Qatar. So in the eighteen nineties, the world went through an extraordinary boom in rubber right? Rubber was the commodity everybody yes. was. Uh, interestingly, interestingly, if you go up to Dean's Grange Cemetery, where my grandfather and grandmother are buried, yes. okay, in Dean's Grange Cemetery is the grave of John Dunlop, the man who invented the pneumatic tyre. Yes. Invented here in Ireland, okay? If you think about it, we, we forget about this. He kicked off the rubber boom because by figuring out the pneumatic tyre, it meant that traveling was much smoother. So there was a huge boom in bicycles. There was a bicycle boom in the 1890s, right? And there was a huge boom, of course, in motor cars beginning the car Mm. in the 1890s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this massive rubber boom. Where do you produce rubber? In Congo and in Brazil were the two big places, right? The Congo is the story of Roger Casement, which we've talked about before, right? That's a great story. Yeah, we we leave the story of Casement. If you're interested in that, just go back and look at the archives of this podcast. There's a story about Roger Casement. But the other story is the story of Brian Fitzgerald, right? Of Fitzgeraldo, right? Now, what interests me was the madness of the rubber boom, which generated so much wealth for these people on the back of a rubber boom and slavery, Mm, right? Yes. And they had so much wealth that they thought it was a logical thing to do to bring an opera, a European-style opera, to like like La Scala, to the jungle. And when I look at Qatar, it's like a Fitzgeraldo (laughs) moment to me, right? Where you're bringing football to the desert, right? Yeah, yeah, Okay, so this is my thing. And then that got me thinking of what actually makes countries rich because the story of the rubber boom is this massive boom in Congo, Mm. which hugely enriched the Belgians, massive boom in the Amazon, which hugely enriched the settlers in the Amazon, but not the Indians. Yeah, no, of course not. Right. And what always happens in commodity booms, the countries that depend on commodities for their wealth eventually run out of the commodity. So Qatar will be a poor country in 100 years' time. There's no doubt of that. No doubt in my mind, right? Because it'll run out of... of uh, it's basically gas is what they have. Yeah. Not so much oil, but... And then this, is, this is what Sheikh Maktoum, I think, was the guy who said about... Or was his dad who said about they started with camels. Then oh, they, it's a great quote. Yeah. yeah you, says, you, you, you give us that says, quote. My, I think it's the grandfather of the Maktoums said this yeah. when they d- discovered oil in the desert. He said... My grandfather rode on a camel. I drive a car. My son drives a Bentley. 
his son will drive a car and his son will ride a camel. So, and this is exactly his vision of, you know, it's Don't blow fleeting. the money. Don't it's blow the fleeting. money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if you think about that, then imagine then what makes countries rich, right? Because this is the eternal question in economics, right? Is how do countries mm. get rich? One way is the Fitzgeraldo rubber boom Qatar way that you strike it lucky and that mother nature offers you something beautiful, right? And you blow it yeah. on crazy things, right? Yeah. You and go then a bit you get nuts. poor. Then you go, you go a bit mad and you get poor, right? Yeah. And then the other thing is, so how do countries sustainably grow and continue to grow? And this leads us to something bizarre in economics, right? Many, many, economics is now the most studied undergraduate subject in the United States, yeah. right? Okay. So, so in the United States, more graduates take one course of economics. Because in the States, you can do like electives, you can do courses, yeah. economics, anything else, right? Okay. And one of the central characters in the economic narrative is a fellow called Adam Smith. Yes, yes. Well, we all bizarre know his friend, name. It was a bizarre Scottish fellow who lived his ma all his life, right? <laughs> he, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Speaks volumes. Yeah, and but one of the things that Adam Smith always talks about is a thing called comparative advantage. Now, there's yeah. two great 18th century geniuses in economics, alleged geniuses, mm. right? But we're going to debunk that myth right now. David Ricardo, right, yeah. who was the MP for Port Leash. That's right, yeah, And yeah. actually bought a rotten borough. He actually bought his gig, right? <laughs> so one of, the, one of the key founders of economic thought was corrupt as our friends in Qatar, right? Yeah. And then Adam Smith, who lived with his ma. So yeah. we're not talking about a great gene pool here, okay? <laughs> If you think about it, right? Right. Okay. Now, but both of them alight on this idea of comparative advantage. Mm. And this is taught in schools. I remember and, learning this yeah. exact they thing see, in school. It's taught like it's, if, if a country produces butter and a country produces guns, yeah. I think it is, right? Right. Okay. And the actual mantra, the shibboleth. Remember I told you about the shibboleths yeah. before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These yeah. people used to just sing back the liturgy and that gave yeah. them access to God, right? And the shibboleths always replace hard thinking. And one of the great shibboleths of economics is that countries should specialize. And this is learned by rote, the students of economics all the way through mm. university, right? Yeah, okay? just simplifies everything. Just simplifies everything. And of yeah. course, by simplifying the problem with theories and the problem with models is of course we understand that you need to have replicas, you need to have simplifications, you need to put things made simple so people can understand them. But if the theory not only doesn't reflect reality, but actually contradicts reality, mm. then it's a nonsense yeah. theory. So when you look at, so what Smith and Ricardo said, and what is parroted by academics all the time, is that countries should specialize. And through specialization, you create comparative advantage. So you produce the good that you're really good at, you generate money from that sort of stuff, and then you buy the other stuff. Yeah. So basically what they're saying is countries should embrace monoculturalism in economics, yeah. not multiculturalism, right? Okay, which is producing a lot of things. The problem is when you look at the data, John, when you look at the actuality, what you find is that countries that are sustainably rich not only do not specialize, but are promiscuous in what they do, yes. right? It's yeah. all diversity. The countries that produce more stuff, have more job opportunities, have more types of products, they are the countries that get rich. So, basically, so, so what, did, what did Adam Smith miss when he was kind of coming up with his theory? Was he not looking around He himself? wasn't looking around. So basically what you find is that you know, half of the joy of doing this podcast 
is debunking lots of stuff that people learn about economics. Because so many people say to me, they come up and say, what you guys are doing is great because it makes economics accessible, mm. right? But then it, you have to go back and then agonize about and investigate what people are being taught. And I think one of the reasons many people drop out of economics is their common sense takes over. And they say, oh, hold on a second. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. actually doesn't reflect the real world. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think loads and loads of very, very enlightened students give up economics because their brain tells me, this is supposed to teach me about the world, but I'm out there living every day. Yeah. And it doesn't, it the, doesn't theory, tally. The, theory, the theory doesn't reflect reality. Yeah. And in fact, it contradicts reality. Yeah. So let, let's take it right. So specialization is incredibly bad for countries because it makes you fragile because there's only one product, right? And after when you produce only one product, it makes you fragile. So if you look at all the data, mm. right? There's a very, very brilliant economist in Harvard called Ricardo Hausmann, who I think is from Colombia or Bolivia, right. right? And he identifies what it takes for countries to get rich. And what it takes for countries to get rich is very, very much like my own feeling that economics is more like biology than engineering, right? And what makes countries get rich is the ecosystem. And the more diverse the ecosystem, the more, in the same way as in the plant world, and yeah. in, the, in the natural Absolutely. world. Absolutely. You know, so the more diverse the ecosystem in the natural world, the more life that it can sustain, the more variance of life and diversity of life, yeah. the healthier the ecosystem, yeah, yeah. right? And we know that from biology. And monocultures are, are inherently fragile. You know, a disease hits and it can wipe out a crop that, you know. But the famine in Ireland is the it, great example, right? Perfect, yeah, absolutely. If you look at the famine in Ireland, right? The famine in Ireland is a classic example of overdependence on a monoculture. And that makes you unbelievably susceptible to change. Mm. And you can't adapt. So the people died. They starved because of an overdependence on one crop. Yeah. Right? Economics is exactly the same. That the more diverse the society, the more diverse the economy, the more things going on, the more innovation, the more ideas, the more risk, the more capital, that's what makes countries rich. Right? And if you look at that all throughout history, what you see is as countries make more and more... So the great example I always go back to is the Dutch in the 17th century. Right, yeah. So not only... I mean, I've, I read something extraordinary about the Dutch multiculturalism. Multiculturalism and e economics meaning that they produced everything. But not only they produced everything, right? You know that in Holland, in the late 18th century, Right, yeah. so think about this, right? Okay. No, actually, in the late 17th century, 1690s, right? Yeah. When our friend Peter the Great went to Holland undercover yes. to work in to the learn, Dutch, to learn the, to learn the, the trade, way. right? They were producing 100,000 portraits a year, right? 100,000 portraits of people. Portraits, okay. Poor people, right? Yeah. So, why? This, because this is because it's an underlying, unbelievably vibrant artistic culture, yeah. as well as a commercial culture. So the Dutch were painting all the time. You know when you talk about Dutch masters, these people were obsessed with painting yeah. as well. as. The, so what I'm saying is that these highly evolved multicultural societies where different people, different races, different ideas, this is what makes the economy tick, right? And you see all throughout economic history that the countries that specialize end up incredibly poor over time, yeah. and the countries that are promiscuous and diversify end up much, much richer. And the basic idea of international trade that 
economists teach in university starts with the notion of comparative advantage, and it's wrong. That's the amazing, that's that's the sort of light bulb yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, moment. So, so John, look, if you think about it, right? So diversity is the key. The country that produces products tries at hand, the country that produces stuff tries its hands at all sorts of things, right? When it's brimming with ideas, when it's explosive, when people can fail and people can be successful, they're the sort of places that actually end up very rich. So it's, it's like a, it's like the, the old expression, you don't want to keep all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, so yeah. the Qataris and all these people have all their eggs in one basket. They will be poor very, mm. very, when it all runs out. Now it could take decades, but they will be poor. And it's all to do with you need volatility, you need variance, you need risk. And it's all this idea of how do you become more robust, right? Yeah. How do you become, I think Taleb has written this book called Anti-Fragile. Yes. And his basic yeah. idea is how do you become anti-fragile? How do you, how does a society or an individual, it starts with the individual, how does the individual not only survive adversity, but the key is to be able to thrive in adversity, to be able to adapt so quickly. And of course, as you know, this is the essence of evolution. Yeah. Evolution Absolutely. is all about adaptability. And and what Talib was saying as well, essentially what he was saying as well was that, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yes. And and but the, here's to, the whole to quote Nietzsche. <laughs> yes, indeed. But but a bit of Nietzscheism in the old fucking economics is always good for us. But using that analogy of biodiversity, you know, the money, and this is the bit about the Qataris that that I was thinking about there, is that you know, the money and the wealth that they have can be, could be the fertilizer to create much healthier and much more diverse ecosystems. Absolutely. And as far as I know, they're trying to do this. As far as I know, they're trying. They're not getting full Fitzgeraldo. They're only half (laughs) Fitzgeraldo, right? And I think the Saudis are trying to do the same thing. Yes, I was going to say. All those places, right? They're trying to do the same. They realize... It's not that these people are blinkered and yeah. blind. They realize that this is this is this is. They saw a, that movie clearly. They saw the movie. They said I, that Klaus Kinski guy. I like the look of him. I like the him. But you know, it, it is it is fascinating when you think that the basic ideas that we teach people in economics are wrong, mm. and they're not in accordance with basically what we see all around us. And that that for me is crime an intellectual crime being committed against students. So Hausmann, this guy, Ricardo Hausmann, yeah. he, he makes this very interesting analogy that development is like a game of Scrabble, right? So you know the way Scrabble, a game I'm not very good at. <laughs> I've never, never done, done the patience for it. Yeah, yeah. But Scrabble is all about the combination of letters, right? Yeah. So how many combinations can you make, right? And what he's saying is the economy is the same that letters are the assets of the economy, whether education or capital, whatever, right? Yeah. The more assets you have, the more combinations you can make, and the more products. So if you think of in- innovation as being the source of all economic development, yeah. right? So innovation, back to our friend Schumpeter, right? Yeah. So Schumpeter's basic idea is that innovation is the essential fact of the capitalist system. And that's the difference between poor and rich countries. Keeps it moving right? forward. Keeps it moving forward. And of course, innovation isn't about invention, it's about combining things together. Mm. You know, the great example is the wheels on the suitcase. Right? Yeah, so when, yeah, we yeah. Were, when we were kids, you would see people, not even when we were kids, in the, up until the 90s, you'd see people lugging huge suitcases <laughs> on their backs, like Sherpas <laughs> in, in airports, yeah. right? Sweating, right? And then somebody said, ah, why don't we just put those little wheels on the suitcase? Yeah. Now think about 
Wheels were invented 7,000 years ago, right? Think about it. 7,000 years ago, wheels, right? They've been around for a long time. Suitcases. People have been lifting shit since we were in the jungles. Since we were in Africa, right? So we've been lifting shit and we had wheels. And only in the 90s did someone figure, why don't we put the wheels on the suitcases? And it happened around the same time that we stuck wheels on bins as well. Exactly. (laughs) Bringing the the rubbish out became easier. Remember the bin men used to look, big big fellas used to look right, right? So innovation is not invention. Yeah. Innovation is the spark that puts things together, right? And of course, putting things together is just simply combining existing assets that we have. Mm. And the key to economic growth is innovation. But the key to innovation is humans. And the key to innovation, human creativity is diversity and multiculturalism and talking to people and getting good ideas yeah. and getting changes. Yeah, yeah. Right? So when I look at Qatar and I think of Fitzgeraldo, I think, What model should we be teaching people about the economy? And the model is that diversity, not specialization, is the key to all economic wealth. Okay, Mac, let's talk about the Irish aspect to this and what's going on here. But before we do that, let's pay the old bills. Let's get paid. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, Mark, this stuff is is really interesting, but let's talk about Ireland. But not only Ireland, because this is something that can be applied to Everywhere, Anywhere, yeah. any country. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you look, remember, I was, I was in, I was in Canada recently. Mm. So, you look at a place like Alberta. It's a very, very wealthy part of Canada, highly dependent on commodities. Yeah, right. Then you look at somewhere like Toronto, highly dependent on services. Right. Yeah. It's a multicultural melting pot, etc. Right. At the moment in Canada, there's a huge kind of political battle between the west of Canada, which is the sort of the oil-rich, commodity-rich places yeah. and east of Canada, which is much, much more multicultural, much more diverse, much more liberal actually as well. And there's a battle, right? But in time, Alberta will run out of commodities and it will go back to being poor. Yeah. But Toronto won't because Toronto is the source of Canadian innovation or urban innovation. Yeah. This goes back to Jane Jacobs. Remember Jane Jacobs? I we do. Talked about, right? yeah. So Jane Jacobs, her great book was The Rise and Death of Great American Cities, right? Mm. Uh, I say the, the Rise and Fall of Great American Cities. I mean, maybe it was life and death. We have it somewhere, right? But she talks... Details, schmitels. Details, schmitels, right? But her essential idea is that 
cities are where all the good stuff happens mm. because that's where the people are. And the great secret of economics is that economic growth is free, right? And why, what do you mean? Why, I mean that is that innovation comes from ideas. Yeah, right, ideas okay. are in yeah. our heads. Yeah. So they're actually free. So this is where the, our friends, the Qataris, they continue to make the point that we have all the wealth, we've all the capital and la, la, la. That's not where economic growth comes from. Economic growth comes from within our heads, mm. right? And Jane Jacobs was talking about urbanism and why we need to have highly diverse ecosystems in the urban world, because that's where the joy of the city comes from. But not only the joy, that's where the almost biological process of renewal comes from. Mm. So her whole idea was the street has to be a living theatre. She described it as ballet. Is the theatre of ballet, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. So that the shopkeepers and the publicans and the people and so the whole idea, and this is of course very, very germane to Ireland, but all over the world on urban development. How do you create urban societies that reinvent themselves? And of course, in the 1970s and 1960s, we went down the Le Corbusier idea of packing people into big apartment blocks, stacking them really, really high in the air yeah. and basically isolating people, yeah. right? And her idea was that's the worst thing you can do for society, that what you should have is low or medium rise integrated urban areas, socially integrated, economically integrated, culturally integrated, et cetera, right? Basically everybody. Mm. Now, that is the essence of what economics is about, right? Because if, if ideas are free, then they just have to be let free. And how you let free ideas is you have combinations and different combinations. So if you're listening, for example, I just mentioned Canada, but if you're listening in the UK, right, you can do the same exercise in the UK, yeah. right? All economic growth comes from diversity. How diverse is your society, yeah. right? And, you know, the United States, you see the same thing that, of course, it's the major cities that create all the innovation in the United States yeah. because that's where the people are. And that's where the diversity is. And, and, that's, and the, the likes of, of Texas was the, the oil that, that's feeding the cities yeah. for now. And Texas has been extremely good at diversifying itself. Texas used to be an oil state, oil and agriculture. Yeah. Now Texas is a highly cultural state, it's an innovative state, huge tech industry there, you know, South by Southwest. It's, they, they, yeah. they have huge yeah, yeah. culture in, in Texas. And it's a very interesting example of a state, unlike Alberta in Canada, mm. that said, hold on a second. We've got to figure out another trick here. Yeah. Because a one-trick pony is a one-trick pony. Well, it's a bit like, it was just, a, you know, another example of the likes of Alberta that has just gone past is the north of England and the mining community. It used to be, and it used to be so diverse. Absolutely. It used to be so diverse. And I see the thing is that what you, what you need for this culture is a sense that you're in a sort of a cauldron of ideas, mm. Right. And that, I've always said that what really drives economics is hope. Hope is actually the key thing. Yeah. It's, not, it's not money or fiscal policy. It's actually people having a sense of hope that you get up in the morning and say, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to back myself. I'm going to, I'm going to actually try. I'm going to take a risk, right? And that's all based on hope. And you can destroy hope in a society by destroying the entire social infrastructure around mm. it. So as you said about the mining communities, the coal mining, et cetera, it's a great example of being over-dependent on one industry. Yeah. Would you need to feed these ideas and uh, through the likes of education and kind of Exactly. Stuff? So you asked about Ireland, right? Now, I think one of the best ways of looking at this, John, I know it's an obscure way of looking at this, mm. is look at the amount of university degrees that are being offered to kids now vis-a-vis -vis kids when we were young, right? 
Yeah. Because the more university degrees, the more educational opportunities, as you mentioned, the more diverse the society. Because you're creating all sorts of talents and all sorts of assets, cultural and social assets, yeah. right? Yeah. So I look back in 1977, which is, we're not that old, right? But in 1977, on the CAO form, yeah. right, there were only 69 subjects in honours degrees available to Irish leaving cert students, right? Which is wow. more or less the same as when we were doing it in the 80s, right? Yeah, oh okay? yeah, yeah. Today, there's 866 honours courses available to leaving cert students, right? Wow, So That's it has incredible. multiplied dramatically. And if you look at then diplomas and degrees, not honours degrees, but yeah. degrees and diplomas and all sorts of things, right? There are now 1,800 courses available to Irish kids, different courses. So th th this is huge diversity. Absolutely. And 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 do you know what? If there was that 800 or 1,000 uh, courses available in 1985 when I was doing my Leaving Cert, I think I might have made a greater effort to get into college and to do something of, of interest. Of course. Rather than, because I always felt that, you know, just everyone's just being packed into do the usual L shite of it. You do... Uh, Arts and UCD. Arts and UCD. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you do accountancy or you do yeah, whatever yeah. it is. And you know, there's loads of people, and I know loads of people, who went in doing these degrees who actually didn't want to be there, had no interest in it. But it was the thing to do. But now yeah. there is such a choice. There's, there's, there's 1,800 yeah, different that's amazing. courses, right? That's amazing. So Irish kids, right? And again, if, you're, more engaged, if, if you're listening in the UK or if you're listening wherever, just think about this way of looking at diversity, right? Mm. It's the amount of things people can study, right? Which is preparing them for a labor force, a workforce for life, all that sort of stuff. And I mean, this would suggest that our country has gone from a monoculture of highly academic, kind of, you know, suited to fellows who can, who can learn very quickly and keep these ideas in their heads and then, yeah. then write like be Jesus in the middle of June, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a type of intelligence, but it's not the only intelligence, yeah. right? Yeah. We've gone from a monoculture to a multiculture, right? And you know the way, for example, in Ireland, people say, oh, well, the Irish economic miracle was because Sean Lamas turned around to T.K. Whittaker and they said in 1958, <laughs> let's cut the taxes. Horseshit. Yeah. It's much more evolutionary. It comes from the bottom up. It doesn't come from the top down. It's what people are doing. So, I mean, what you see is that as those courses expanded, right, mm it also was coincident with the economy changing completely. So in the 1970s, John, 60% of Irish exports, 60% of our total exports came from food, drink, and tobacco, okay. chemicals, and transport, right? And food and live animals, live animals, comprised 41% of our total exports. Wow. Right? So yeah. you have animals on the hoof, yeah. live animals being exported, Right. That's all changed completely now. And that's, this is the diversity. If you look at it now, right, the, the economy is a total service economy, right? So the value of services exported was around 71 billion in 2005, right? By 2020, so it's only 15 years, mm. it's 280 billion is services, right? So the economy has completely changed. Agriculture has collapsed as the dominant industry. It's still a big industry, but mm. what is fascinating now is Irish agriculture is now into what they call ag tech. So exporting serums and hormones and all sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've moved dramatically. That's the innovation side. That's the it. innovation side. That's yeah. the whole thing. So I'm not saying Ireland is great. And in fact, there's lots of things that can go wrong. But the fact is that the economy, so for example, Ireland's productivity is now 100% greater than the productivity of the UK per wow. worker. I mean, that's 
yeah. phenomenal. That's innovation. It's education. It's all these things, right? So what you have then, so ICT, right? Information, computing, technology. It's a broad, broad thing, yeah, right? Yeah. That accounts for now 51% of Irish exports, right? Meaning that Ireland is in the world the third most technically savvy workforce in the world after Japan and Korea. Wow, that's, Which is quite, that's quite yeah. impressive. So it means that we've gone into this diversity thing yeah. in and a huge way. that includes the ag tech stuff as that well. That includes the ag tech, yeah. but it's, it's, it's the whole idea is that even agriculture has gone up, what they've called the innovation. Mm. And again, what it's doing is kids can go in, study biology. In the old days, if you studied biology, you became a biology teacher. Now you can study biology and you can work in a lab on food, technology, agriculture, all that sort of stuff. So what it means to come back to the idea is that years ago, people who worked in agriculture worked on farms. Now they still work on farms, but they also work in labs. Yeah. So it's a totally different change, right? Services, diversity, the amount of courses you can do, the amount of people. And it comes back to this idea, and it's it's actually also an idea about society, that when you see all these people saying Ireland for the Irish and Ireland is only white and Irish nationalism and mm. Ireland is full and all that stuff, right? What they're arguing for is monoculture, right? An exclusive yeah. Irish white culture. What we actually need for the economy to work is multiculturalism in every area, in society, in innovation, in economics, etc. What the Qataris have is monoculture and slavery. Yeah. Right? That's their model. Yeah. Which is exactly like our friend Fitzgeraldo, which was monoculture of rubber and slavery of the Indians, mm. which is exactly what Casement highlighted in Congo, which was rubber and slavery of the black people, the, the people of Congo. Right? Mm. This is not the model for sustainable economics. The model for sustainable economics is what I would call promiscuous. It's messy. It's evolutionary. It's multicultural, but ultimately what it is, it's driven by ideas and people have ideas. And the more people you have buzzing around, risking having a go, the more economic growth you will have. And we just end that the fundamentals that are being lectured and drummed into children and students stemming from David Ricardo, himself a corrupt politician, and Adam Smith, a man who lived with his mammy all his life, not only are not true, but they contradict reality. And that's where you make mistakes. How are you doing there? It is December. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas present time. It's a present to yourself time. <laughs> it's time for patrons who are our favourite people, John, the people who actually pay us. Indeed, to, to, absolutely. To, to get out of the scratcher and do all this. So on Patreon, for all of December... It's a 10% off annual fee for you. And of course, you know what you get. You get economics, you get ad-free, you get chats. I answer your questions. You've got economic courses, the courses I give at Trinity. You've got book lists. You've got the whole lot, all on Patreon, all for the price of... Is it a pint, John? For a pint. And you know what? It makes an amazing present. It makes an amazing present. So it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Support us. We'll support you. Who doesn't like that, do you? Oh, ho, ho.